welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. And today we are talking about implicit bias, including some of the psychology behind it and how it appears in today's society. So today we get to talk about implicit bias and the subconscious. And I'm wondering for the people who are listening, if everybody knows what that means or how that affects others, how that affects you. So I'm excited to get uncomfortable as we take a little bit of a closer look at what these things mean. Now, me, Sasha, for implicit bias, right? You said you went through a lot of this at work and I have been out of corporate for a long, long time. You've been in it a little bit more recently, but can you tell me a little bit yeah. about the diversity training that is around that? Yes. Um, so when I was in big law, we did this every year. It was part, and my law firm was more progressive than most, I think. So I'm not sure how much of a standard law firm procedure this was, but we basically had various speakers come in and talk to us about implicit bias, which was sort of our unconscious stereotypes and perceptions about people and situations. And a lot of people saw it as, you know, two hours that you could otherwise be billing because (laughs) there's a lot of type A attorneys out there. But I liked it. I thought that we got to unpack just a little bit of the things that might affect us as we were attorneys and looking at clients and looking at other coworkers and really start to question those. But of course, that was a two-hour session. By the time it was done, everyone was on the clock billing again. Got it. And it would also probably affect how you view evidence in cases or what people are saying and that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, I would be curious for those listeners who work more on like criminal justice sides, how their training is in this. That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Because I think it's understood that we as human beings possess these unconscious biases about people that are tied also to how people talk and they look. I mean, I remember my father telling me ages ago, don't get your nose pierced because much as you show up or you don't get facial piercings because, you know, you'll show up and people can't help themselves. They will judge you. And I think even just with those simple examples of things people choose to do to themselves, nose piercings, tattoos, that sort of stuff, that's a type of judgment will place on people. And there is also judgment placed on people based on what skin color they have or or how they are born to look too. And I think like the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, which really takes a look at, at the science behind it. And there is power in it, right? Because the more experienced you are in something, I think the quicker you can make a decision, your intuition is more attuned to things, but there's also a danger in making these snap judgments. Yeah, I think that you raise a really good point, too, because your advice that your father gave you and my Japanese father gave me the same advice times about 20. (laughs) It really related to characteristics and things that you could change about yourself. But what I think is so interesting and so difficult is when implicit bias relates to characteristics you can't change about yourself. Right. That's so true. I mean, And that's where I think it's interesting from a psychological standpoint. I mean, it's difficult to prove the structure of how our brains work. There's not, you know, the technology is still working on it. You know, how do you measure the brain when people are living and the conscious, the subconscious, the unconscious, you know, it's difficult to get true scientific measurements at this stage so far. But overall, I think conventional wisdom kind of states that 
your conscious mind, the things that you're aware of, it can process about 40 bits of information per second. So like right now you can look around and be like, the clock says it's this time. My walls are this color. I'm speaking into this microphone. Like I can process about 40 bits of information about the world around me. And that conscious mind is what's responsible for communicating and connecting to the outside world or like making that connection between what I see out there and with my inner world. And then the unconscious mind, and there's a lot of different theories on this, right? There's It could be, some theories are like, it's an amalgamation of all of your past experiences. Freud would say it's a storehouse of socially unacceptable desires and traumatic memories and painful emotions, and that's what your unconscious is. Or Jung would say that there's two layers of the unconscious, the personal unconscious and the collective unconscious, where he would say that you don't just have your own experiences, but that of the collective human experience. Cognitive psychology would say that it's a group of cognitive processes that we just simply aren't aware of. But no matter what theory you look at, it's generally accepted that your unconscious or subconscious mind can process millions of bits of information per second, things that you're not totally aware of. It basically what guides your intuition. That's crazy that there is that disparity between the conscious mind and 40 bits of information and your unconscious mind and millions of bits of information per second. Right. I mean, but it's in the structure of your brain too, right? There's the amygdala, which is the part of your brain that assesses whether something is a threat or not. And that's what gets activated when you're trying to be protected. I mean, that's what runs your body, like your heart, your breathing. I mean, it does the things that you're not consciously aware of, but at the same time, the unconscious mind in general learns things based on how you grew up or the values of your parents and society, your moral compass. And I think it's kind of understood that your unconscious mind wants to protect you from danger and it'll communicate with you through your emotional reactions to things. And it's not just like a a simple thing. Like it's actually really, there was this really insane study that I dug up here in doing research for this episode, but it's really, really smart. There was an experiment done by Ron Hassin and colleagues that showed, so get this, They basically blinded people using this thing called continuous flash suppression. So you had glasses on. And so one eye would be shown one image and one eye would be shown a different image. And it showed that you can process expressions that consist of multiple words, or it can kind of help you solve simple arithmetic, like subtraction equations in your unconscious mind. That's crazy. So like one eye was getting a brightly colored squares. And it was so distracting that like it would overwhelm your brain in these glasses or in this continuous flash suppression model. And then in the other eye, basically they would give equations like nine minus three minus four equals. And then they would show, they basically had to press a button when they saw the correct answer. They registered it consciously, even though they were kind of being distracted. And the reaction times of the people who were primed to that equation were significantly faster than those who had not been primed to that equation when they were given the number two as an answer. So your brain, your unconscious mind can even solve math problems. Like it obviously is not such a basic thing. And we're still just learning, as I said, like technology and science is still researching all of this, but it affects your behavior. It affects what you're aware of. And, you know, memories can be stored with emotions. So if you had great experience playing sports, you might get really excited when the opportunity to do something physical happened. If you had a really bad experience at school, you might really not enjoy learning anything new going forward. Like this reaction that our bodies and our brains have through emotion, through it's all processed through both your conscious and unconscious mind. And that forms the basis for what we're talking about with implicit bias. 
And that's the stuff that's like categorizing people according to cultural stereotypes. Based on all of our past experiences, it's the judgment we make to keep us safe or, you know, that we're primed to believe based on all of our experiences leading up to that point. I think that's so crazy. I think, you know, just the role of the unconscious or subconscious and not only what you've experienced, but what you've been taught really from various sources, from the media, from your family, from you know, your own perceptions can all influence that is what you're saying. And that is amazing. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, I know because I'm a human being, I know I hold implicit bias. And I'm curious, like, if you've noticed an experience where your implicit bias is showing, you know, if you kind of become (laughs) aware afterwards where you're like, I totally snap judged that person or that event or that situation. I think there's so many instances of when I've done it that it's hard for me to actually pinpoint it as crazy as that sounds. Because I feel like even though I've been so aware of implicit bias, it is really difficult to address them, I think, if I'm being perfectly honest, you Mm -hmm. know, and thinking about trying to get past my initial perception about someone based on things that are probably totally unrelated to them, but my own experiences. I don't, is there one that stands out for you? Let me ponder that one for a second. I think there was one, it was a question that was asked when I was doing a course on, it's not about race so much as it is about gender. And it was a course on money mindset for women. And the question asked, you're at a red light And a blonde woman in a red Ferrari pulls up next to you in the turning lane. What's your first thought? Is it, what did she do to make that money? Or is it, what does her husband do to afford that? And it was really interesting to just be like, oh, I guess people can think totally two different things, but you're likely to think something if someone's showing up all fancy in a fancy car. And what does that say about like, say you you know, you believed it was, what does she do? Then, you know, it's perfectly capable for women to make a lot of money and buy snazzy things for themselves and look a certain way. And if it was, what does her husband do? What is your belief then around women's earning power or what women value, like who they are based on, you know, if they show up to be a pretty and wealthy human being, what does that say about you that your assumption is that it must be because of somebody else behind them? So that was one time where I was like, oh, that's really interesting. For me, at least at that point, I was like, oh, that's eye opening. Yeah. And I, as you were saying, I was thinking about, remember when Harvard released that online implicit bias study? I don't know if you remember that, but basically you were shown images of people and words and it was supposed to measure, you know, your own implicit biases. And I remember that that was really interesting. And now I can't remember the like my specific results, but I was definitely more biased than I ever thought coming into that because I thought I was so woke. I was so aware of my own biases. And yeah, I was not. That's interesting. I feel like that I went back last year when we were doing some work in this to see if it was worth taking that test or having people do it. And something happened where it was discredited. I'll have to look that up. But it was interesting because when you said the word woke, even it's like, I guess the one thing I would say is we're never obviously arrived. We're never fully there. It's always this process. But yeah, I think it would be fascinating if they could develop a test or if they could develop a process for us to look at what are our beliefs? Who are we and what do we stand for at this exact moment in time, knowing that it's always on a continuum and changing the more we experience stuff? 
Yeah, completely. You know, I think getting back to implicit bias and its implications in our daily lives, besides our personal encounters or moments where we've found that we have definite implicit bias is that, for example, the consequences of implicit bias in various organizations are really powerful. Like take schools, for example. Um, There's a 2017 study by Huayu Sebastian Cheng, and that study found that math teachers perceive their classes to be too difficult for Latino and Black students, and English teachers perceive their classes to be too difficult for all non-white students, which is crazy, right? That if you're coming in and you're an educator and that's your implicit bias. In English, these biases lower the affected students' expected years of schooling by almost a third of a year. And the effect of being underestimated by math teachers is about lowering your GPA by about two points, which, as we know, is big. It is. So when they say, and I'm really curious about, like, lower their expected years of schooling, meaning they drop out earlier because of stuff like this? or And is this in high school or college? Or I'm really curious what age ranges they studied. I realized I should have probably looked into that as well. Yeah, I can't even remember right now. And I think it was high school, though where they're looking at this. And I think that it's really looking at the implicit bias of the teachers. So um, the teachers would basically just not put in as much work to help students of color effectively, because they think that they're just simply not capable. Right. Because their assumption going in is they are not going to be as capable as white students. Got it. Oh, and it says high school sophomores. So high schoolers. That's crazy town. Okay. Right. So but that's not the only thing. It's not just GPA or how students are perceived by their teachers. It also leads to inequitable punishments for student of color. And like a 2012 investigation found that 17 percent or one out of every six black school children enrolled in K through 12 was suspended at least once compared with one in 20. So that's five percent for white children. And the Georgetown Law Center on Poverty and Inequality, which does a lot of work in this area, released a 2017 report where they found that black girls ages 5 to 14 have been viewed by adults as, quote, less innocent than white girls of the same age, which may be a factor in the disparity in suspension rates. Ages 5? I mean, they're babies at age 5. Like, what do you mean less innocent? I I know. All the way through, right? But... Holy smokes. Yeah. I mean, and that's really early, right? So you think about this implicit bias building over the years as well. And what girls of color are taught to believe about themselves, too. Right. And I think that what when we were researching this episode, one of the things that I found was that was so interesting is that implicit bias also exists on sites that are in theory supposed to be colorblind, like crowdfunding sites. And I mean, how many times have you seen ads for, you know, or petitions for something on GoFundMe Mm -hmm. or, you know, Kickstarter? But according to new research, by Venkat Kupsuwami, and I probably just totally mispronounced his name, who is an assistant professor of entrepreneurship and innovation at Northeastern University. Customers are less willing to pay top dollar for a product made by a black entrepreneur than they are for the same product made by a white entrepreneur. And I thought this was really interesting because they had three different examples. There was the white entrepreneur who was selling his product, or and then there was a black entrepreneur who was selling 
his product. And then there was a black entrepreneur who was advertising that this was a product made by a black man with special, you know, focus on the black community. And in both of those instances, the people said they would pay less for those products because they didn't feel that they thought that the craftsmanship wasn't going to be as good when the materials were the same. They literally said that. That's what their answers were that. Yes, because customers assumed that the black entrepreneurs would use lower quality materials and spend less time making the product. That was their assumption. So can you imagine you're on a what should be in heavy quotes, a colorblind site, and you're being discriminated against because of your race, even though in two of those examples, that wasn't out there as a factor, or it it wasn't even really advertised. Was it you that sent me the thing? It was like a little meme. And it was like, be careful what you pay for. And it was a paperclip that costs 10 cents. And then a fancy, like a slightly shinier thing, paperclip made by Tiffany for $100, right? Like Tiffany's. Uh, And it's probably not related, but it's like, what do we value? How can we This takes a conversation to a totally different angle that is not necessarily related to implicit bias, but it just made me think about like, what are we spending our money on and how do we decide what is worth spending on? Yeah. And I think this will be something that we touch on in later episodes, but if you're really trying to create a more equal socioeconomic playing field, your implicit bias is a direct barrier to getting dollars to communities of color in that way, even on a colorblind, again, heavy quotes, site. Right. That's really interesting. That last study really kind of surprises me. I mean, I've heard about stuff that are, you know, people are biased based on the names or, you know, what they assume to be black sounding names or that sort of stuff. But for it to also be happening in theory on these quote colorblind sites is shocking to me. I guess accept that we all have our bias, but to then have moments of like, oh, my bias is showing like where are we all have it. So where do we fall on that scale? And what are the tools that we can use to find that? I think it's up to us to just have these conversations with people and ourselves to like, did I mean that? Or was there is just checking ourselves, right? Like, yeah. And I think, you know, our initial reaction, I think when people when you are faced with a situation where you are biased is to get defensive, right? To think like, I'm past this, I know these things, I'm not really biased. But I think what's really powerful is sitting with that for a second, you know, and recognizing, like you said, that we all have these, and they are unconscious. But the more that we can start to recognize those, we can start to think about whether those are really valid or are products of things that we've been taught or things that we believe that might not necessarily be true. I think one of the things I read about how to reset some of these is not is to first be aware, like you just pointed out about there's it is in the unconscious, but you can't just say, okay, now I'm it's not just being conscious of it that would change it. It's then taking steps to consciously reprogram, if you will, your subconscious. So say it's something like this and it's, you know, oh, well, I guess I was going to go with a swimming example, which is unrelated to race, but I'm just going to go with it because that's what's (laughs) coming up for me. But it's like, oh, I'm not a swimmer. I'm not a swimmer. I don't like the water. Well, then you can't just be like, oh, the water's safe. I'm okay. I can do that sometime whenever I want to. No, you get in the pool and you begin swimming and then you become a swimmer and you're no longer afraid of the water. It's actually, you have to take 
action or change something physically so that you can actually truthfully tell yourself that new story about it. So, you know, maybe it's, I would never go to one of these, you know, crowdfunding sites and pay less for artisan product from a black entrepreneur. Well, okay, maybe you would or you wouldn't, then go ahead and buy something and pay more for it. Or, you know, like it would just be, you have to take action to counteract that subconscious in order to begin shifting it. It's, you just can't think it away. I agree. And I think that's one of the ways that I've been thinking about it is, you know, what I say to my kids when they say something that I think is based on, you know, their own biases. And then I take a moment to reflect and think about how I would say that same thing to myself, you know, and to have those conversations and to be as aware of it among people that I know as I am on top of it with my kids is has been key for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the action point from today's episode is really taking a moment to think about a time where you might have recoiled or felt afraid or, I don't know, just notice something that wasn't quite peaceful, right? Like just, you just notice something different about yourself. And even though there's no clear or obvious reason for you to feel afraid or whatever, and realize that that intuition you felt was trying to protect you, but it's important to be like, well, what was it protecting me from? Was it a real threat or was it something cultural that you've been raised to fear? Like for me, going back to that blonde woman in a red Ferrari pulling up to me in the sports car, I did think, wow, what does her husband do? And I went, well, it was, it's protecting me from this idea that women don't, like I would feel threatened if all of a sudden, like if I thought that women could make that much money and I wasn't or something, right? Like, so I had to retrain my story of like, oh, success and looking a certain way does not have to, just because I don't look like that doesn't mean that I'm not successful on my own. And I just really sort of parsed that situation apart a lot to figure out what it was protecting me from, this feeling of not being successful. Yeah, I think that you're right. It is about really thoughtful observation, even if it's just one example of that, because to really have those moments to sit and think and sort of rebuild what you think and why you think it, it's work. And I think your examples really highlighted that, but it's really important work. Cool. Well, I'm excited to talk about some concrete ways that implicit bias can come up in our next episode. So let's keep on talking. Let's get uncomfortable together. Yes. Can't wait. 